1: Welcome back to the
2: Mindfield Podcast from Manfield Index Pro, your sports psychology podcast where myself and Dr. Andrew Vincent sit down and talk about all things Liverpool and the mind. And as you guys know, this time we are on our wonderful summer break where we're bringing guests onto the show to talk about specific topics that maybe we don't think about that often, or maybe we talk about a bit too much. But today, Andrew... We are joined by the wonderful Jonathan Northcroft, Jonathan how are you doing
0: I'm all right guys yeah, very good um I'm starting to enjoy uh a little bit of a break from all the madness, but um it doesn't really let up does it with with transfers and uh, and whatnot and soon soon the teams will be on tour and it will start again so um yeah, yeah, it's all good though
2: are you, are you rethinking your life choices right now
0: <laughs> <are you? laughs> oh no, no not. Not at all. Never <laughs> really get bored of it, but uh, I do look forward to the rest. I must, must be honest.
2: Yeah, even before we went live, um, and Andrew, I'll come to you. We were having a conversation about you know needing to switch off and leave everything behind and I was saying that I'm I'm taking a couple of weeks off, but I'm not going away for too long, but I still won't talk to anybody. It'll be just me and my family and that's it. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's Are you gonna go for the whole um you know, social media blackout and get the get the get the get the phone on silent and all
2: that? I pretty much do, yeah. Yeah, I try to just tune out of everything. But like look, I'll I'll keep an eye on the odd transfer rumor here and there, but uh, yeah. thankfully I don't get sucked into too much now. Andrew, you do get sucked into the transfer, I especially on Discord. <laughs> I love the, I love the
3: transfer Discord on the AI Discord there. Love it, love it.
2: <laughs> so today, Jonathan, you've graciously given up your time to chat to us about the media and the role it plays on the mental health of players, on impacting on the mental health of fans, but also. Looking at the flip side and how always being on now, where you know you and I probably have a similar vintage, where you know at the end of the season that was it. You know there was literally a break, so all the players went off on the piss and on the holidays, and then you no, know, there was no talk of transfers. Bar something big happened, and then you were able to come back in, but with our 24 hour news cycle I'm sure that has its own challenges for you guys in the media and it probably is difficult to actually switch off and get some time for yourself is that fair
0: absolutely uh, I think the, the big change that's um occurred in my well this will date me sort of 25 years as a as a football journalist has been exactly that the encroachment of um you know when you're on duty or when you're off duty from Being journalism's never been a traditional job. It's never been a nine to five job. But when I came into the business, there were times when you were working and the times when you weren't. And those lines just got more and more blurred because of twenty four hour media, different working patterns as well. So you know, we just mentioned trying to take a break from uh, emails or or WhatsApp or or whatever. I, I used to try and put my phone away on a Sunday just to give myself a day with the kids. The problem is that the rest of the world doesn't rest, so you'd come back and have, even though people know it's my day off, um, you'd, you'd come back and you'd have a slew of messages. And then, of course, about 400 things will really have happened in the football world during that time as well. Um, and whether it's, whether it's during the season and it's the run of matches and the run of uh, sort of interviews and, and content that filters out, or during the close season where it's the endless transfer kind of incremental developments in, in all the various sagas. Um, I think we've all learned to live at a different pace uh, and and maybe increase our bandwidth, if I can put it that way. But it's still a challenge, uh, I feel, to to kind of switch off and to have a life outside the business. And I, I think that's important, not just for mental health, but actually just to to make you a, a, a proper human being, if, if that makes sense. Um but it's more and more difficult, I have to say. Uh, it, it's, and maybe it's more difficult for people of our vintage than uh, younger people who have grown up with all of this stuff.
2: Yeah, it's it's interesting you're you saying that. I've just I'm just putting the finishing touches on my next book, which is based, you know, around supporting teenagers to deal with anxiety, and they've they've grown up. In this 24-hour news cycle, they've grown up in this ability not to switch off. And that is very true of professional footballers at 18, 19, 20 years of age. This is all they've known. And they will put their lives out onto instagram onto tiktok and will constantly be told this is great for your brand this is great for building up who you are this is going to get you x amount of followers which will bring you x amount of money or x amount of x y and z and then it becomes part of the cycle where the media picks up on it so there's you know articles written about Mo Salah and his training regime or, you know, Jack Grealish and him constantly being on the piss and that's what people see and we just regurgitate over and over and over again. I suppose to kind of delve into it, what do you see as the changes in terms of the impact on players and having that constant media cycle where nothing is off limits?
0: Yeah, well, again, to sort of look at the span of my career, I think at the start of my career um, and certainly maybe the midpoint. So I was in Baden-Baden with England during the World Cup and that infamous the kind of maybe the height of the paparazzi culture mm. with the wags and all the all the, all the kind of soap opera that was going on there. I think that initial that early part of my career and, and that that sort of high point the pressure on players was, was very external um, it, was, it was traditional newspapers mostly um, some, sort of, some TV but mostly it was newspapers and it was paparazzi and it was, it was people hunting them from the outside if I can put it that way um, I'd say the second half of those 25 years, maybe the last decade in particular, newspapers have become, for different reasons uh, a lot more responsible uh, a lot less powerful Readerships declined. News of the world doesn't exist anymore. Um, I think social media has caused some benefits in terms of the public can now hold bad journalism to account quite easily and point out um, you know misbehavior and lies and all that sort of stuff. So actually, paparazzi culture—it's not gone away, but it's really, really diminished. But in its place for players, there is. Uh, social media and the fact that anyone with a camera phone is a journalist, effectively. Anyone with a camera phone um, has got the power to produce content uh, about famous people. Um, and that is enormously pressure for, for players. I think they've become more reclusive over the years and, and had to live more carefully. Their habits are better. I have to say, they manage better, they get more advice than they've ever done, the clubs protect them better than they've ever done but uh, I I talked to a number of players about the difficulty of of being a normal person and living a normal life because they have to be conscious at all times they could be filmed and then what we're talking about, trying to switch off from it all, trying not to read the thousands of opinions about them is enormously difficult even though They might get told by their coaches not to do it. They might get told by the academy education programs they get to keep it in perspective and handle it. They're human beings. We all kind of have an instinct where we want to know what people think of us. For better or worse, we kind of want to know what others think of us. And for players, it's really, really difficult. And I know there's, you know, there's divides, I suppose, in dressing rooms where some players will go straight onto their phones after games and will want to get on Insta and either communicate something quickly or see what people think about them, and then there'll be others that are trying to stay away from it. Maybe that's a divide along the older players and the younger players, but um, also just different approaches. I just think it's 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 harder than it's ever been, I think, for, for players to, to, to shut things out. But the benefit of social media for them is that it allows them to present themselves unfiltered. So... Um, there's a real positive to that where I don't think they have the same problems that the previous generation had where they felt their identities weren't their own somehow that, 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 that the media were able to represent them and they didn't have control over how they were represented sometimes I think they can represent themselves authentically for, and lots of players are really good at it Jack Grealish you mentioned for example um, and that Insulates them from some of the pressures, I think, because in the case of Jack Grealish, yeah, he goes out in the piss for um, a week after Man City win the Champions League. And yes, those pictures come out and the videos come out and there's criticism. But because Jack's mm. presented himself very authentically from day one um, and got his personality across to people, I think there's context for the public where they can see, well, actually, this lad's got his heart in the right place. He's been an incredible professional all season and he's letting his hair down and we like him. So um, it's, 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 it's different. I, I think the pressures are different. I think there's benefits and there's, there's real drawbacks to where we are now um, with that transition from traditional media to social media. Mm. And I'll bring you in because your
2: experience is with a lot of younger athletes as well. And is that something that you would see them bringing into those one-to-one sessions with yourself uh, around the pressures to do with social media and if they're getting excessive media coverage for doing well or not doing so well um, within their sports?
3: Yeah, I think, you know, first of all, I'm not working with a ton of players who are getting a ton of like high level media coverage. So that's one thing it's um, but often a lot of the players I'm working with are either transitioning into any sort of professional situation where it might go from like, like no one is writing about me at all to like, you know, I might get written about somewhere. My name might pop up somewhere. And I think the other thing is um, university sport here we'll have some different interviews around it and stuff. So just like going from a situation of not having to really deal with any of that to maybe doing an interview at the end of the game or having a game that's televised and that sort of thing. Um, You know, in terms of the social media, then the way that changes too is it's you're transitioning from a social media account or profile. That's like, you're someone following other people to someone who might be followed or someone who someone might pay attention to. Um, and that I think is a big transition of just, you can almost see it, right? Like it's used, goes from something that's more personal to something that it's like, okay, I might and look like I, I don't use enough social media to be honest, to like really be able to tell you the language and stuff. But like, um, it's just, they're retweeting their team or they're highlighting its former teammate. And it's, it goes from being like, hey, here's my life to something that's actually, like, fairly bland and, like, focused on, like, team-related stuff. And so, like, definitely have worked with people through that transition. I I think, um, you know, there's a certain degree of, like, okay, this is how it has to be now or this is what I expect now or, like, I'm a little more visible now. Um, And just, like, that's – it doesn't come up a ton, in the work that I do there just because it's not one of the central pressures on them. I think more what I see is, um, when they are written about, it's one thing to get media training and it's a totally different thing to have the experience of reacting to the first time someone writes about you or reacting to someone pointing out that you have a bad game or, you know, seeing a comment in a comment section somewhere where someone has something to say about you and like going from being invisible to visible in that way is complicated. And I think on the one hand, players know, um, all right, like I've got to keep this out of my head. I've got to put it behind me. I've got to put it somewhere else and find something else to do with it. But there's a difference between getting the training of here's how you're supposed to do that And then seeing something in print for the first time and having to react. And I think one of the things, it was actually interesting for me, like in my own career, going through um, working with some higher profile athletes who would be written about. And then for me to be like, oh, I can read about that other places and... Um, see how other people are seeing them. Whereas in the past, it was like, I'll watch their games, you know, and I will maybe know what the coach has to say about them a little bit. And I will know what they're saying about their own experience. But to then be able to go online somewhere and see, oh, like, where does this person plug them into the lineup for next year? How does this, you know, this person just got a new contract. Like, do people think it's a good contract or not? And that's even interesting for me. It's taken some time to be able to just sort through that process of like, you know, they only know part of it, but like, it's weird to just have that information. You didn't have it before. And so that's one of the biggest things that I've noticed is the experience of it. It just takes some practice and it takes some practice for them too to be able to see it
2: and move it on yeah and I'm sure Jonathan in your experience that you'll see the two different sides with the social media and the, the official stuff I remember doing an interview with a, a female professional and I had to go through the club They had to vet all the questions that I was going to ask. They had to sit in on the interview. I had to send them the interview afterwards where they were uh, going to go through with a fine-tooth comb. And then they would give me the okay to release it. You know, so I'm sure there's a safety in that for the player in one sense. But there's also quite a restriction ability to be themselves and say what they want. And then also there's the risk that they might shoot themselves in the foot a bit. Is that your experience as well?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, listening to you, you described your experience, I'm kind of smiling because that's definitely familiar. Um, and there's, I wouldn't say there's, uh, yeah, no, there is an increased de- desire to control or at least be very professional, um, if I can put it more benignly from... Club media side, when it comes to um, how interviews take place, and when I say professional, I mean trying to um, dot the I's and, and and cross the T's with a journalist in advance to sort of talk around what subjects um, they're going to discuss with the player, then to brief the player, um, you know, on what topics might come up and, and try and make it less a free for all. Of course, as a journalist, what you want is to peel back the the kind of formal aspect and actually get to the person, get to the human being so um, you, you, you want at some point and if the interview's going well there's always a point where you feel I'm finally in the room with the person and not the kind of professional and that's, that's where you're trying to get to um, so uh, there's, 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 there's control I talked about authenticity I, I think that I think the over controlled interview um, has a downside for the player because um, we now have um, we have so much content out there and so much high quality content and an incredibly media savvy population now across the world that they can smell a PR led interview. They can they can react against it because people want authenticity now, and, and players will get criticised for being too bland in an interview, for not showing themselves in the same way that those horrible kind of we go again tweets when a team's just got beaten, thanks fans, we go again players get called out on that now because everyone understands how it works it's just your agent doing it although that's just the club controlling the interview, so um, in terms of how people present themselves you know, I think the best the best clubs that I work with and the best media officers understand that at some point there has to be trust there has to be trust of the journalist and there has to be trust of their own player you know, they've had the training they're a decent person trust them to represent themselves properly in an interview and the best ones do leave you to it um, the more nervous ones will try and get in there themselves or sneak a tape in. And those are things that I think we've all come to accept as you know, national newspaper journalists but we wouldn't have accepted 15 years ago. Um, you know 15 years ago you could probably said to a club, No, I'm not doing the interview if if you're gonna try and commend yourself on it because this is supposed to be an independent interview, not not a club controlled thing. Um, but again it's it's that it's that sort of it's that changing world. Um, I wonder, in in terms of some of the things we're talking about, you know, mental health and pressure side, I actually wonder, and I've never really asked a player, and I'm thinking aloud here, I wonder if they feel a the pressure to be interesting and authentic these days in a way that predecessors wouldn't. Do you know what I mean? Because they know they're getting judged. You can certainly see players who know how to do it, like James Madison, Knows he's gold when he does a post-match interview on, on TV. So does Michael Antonio. You can actually see them almost like, uh, you know, uh, professional actors playing up to it. I mean, that's them being themselves, but they play up to who they are. And um, I, I don't know. Maybe I should ask a player in the next interview. That I do. Do you actually feel a pressure? to be interesting. You know, does your agent tell you you've got to you've got to entertain in this interview? I don't know. I think so. It's again coming back to the fact things have changed and, and there's just a different set of pressures, different dynamics now.
2: And I wonder for you then, like how do you maintain that balance? So you've, you're have you interviewing somebody and you're finding somebody who is quite authentic and, and is opening up. Mm. Um, is it difficult for you to maintain that balance between actually writing what it is that you need to get across, and you know your your readers are going to find engaging versus what you're actually seeing or what you're actually hearing on the external as well. That maybe the rest of the world are, isn't coming across.
0: Well, do you do you mean um, do you mean is it hard to how do I filter what 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 they're saying or, or? well how
2: do you give an honest assessment maybe with got you. with without kind of hurting someone's feelings or you know maybe saying right. something that you're yeah. not a home percent sure of
0: yeah that, that, that's a difficult one um, when you have established a relationship with, with a player or a, or a manager um, and then their performance doesn't match up to what that you know your, your, your opinion of them as a person or the nice relationship you've got and you do have to criticise and that is really, really difficult. Um, and I think you can, I try anyway, you can only do it by being as fair as possible, you know, um, depersonalizing any criticism and, and, and um, you know, criticizing on the basis of performance. And I, I, I always think, I with every line I write, I try and think two things. I try and think, can I justify this line in court? Because I've done Traditional journalism training, and you get taught about media law. So, can I, if, could I, can I, is this factually correct? Can I prove this? Um, And could I justify this face to face with someone? You know, so if if I'm going to, if I'm going to criticize a player's performance, then I want in my mind to, if I ever had to have the conversation with them to be able to say, well, that's why I wrote it. And um, that's just how I personally try and work it. But it is difficult, of course. Um, is, and managers even more so, I think, because you you get to know managers even even better, I think, and and you see them more. And in some ways, their job their jobs are on the line more than, than players who have bad performances. That that can be quite painful sometimes.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I suppose, Andrew, you can give your take on this. But if we're looking at Liverpool specific, you know the the old uh, Liverpool Echo journalists and. You know, James Pearce used to be there. But the flack they take for, you know, not holding the club accountable and not holding the manager accountable and not holding the players accountable and just being yes-men. But that's such a balance,
4: isn't it, Andrew? I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. Ha <laughs> This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes, and games consoles. Visit LibertyShield.com today and use coupon code aivpn 25 to get 25% off at checkout.
3: Well, yeah, because then the flack they also take for them holding the club accountable or holding the players accountable on, on the other side of things, right? Like, yep. um, James Pierce is a clock a go-to like if he doesn't like something that's written like uh, whether it was who wrote it or not like in this case or this year and I, I think that's you know that's such a complicated thing too and I was thinking about that for you Jonathan is like you have this relationship with your readers you have this relationship with the players and the managers and you know trying to find something that you know, not even serves everyone. Like gives you a chance to to speak honestly, but is interesting and compelling to your readers, but also fair to you know the managers, the players, to your subjects. It's a it's a really difficult
0: balance. Yeah, and th- there's there's another layer of difficulty, which is if you've got a close relationship with with someone, they will tell you things off the record, and and they will. You, they will inform you to 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 allow you to have context to what you're writing about but they don't want you spelling it out so you might know the reasons why things have been difficult um for a team or for a player you might not be able to to write about them and then the fans might think that you're because they don't know what you know so they might think you're being overprotective or or why are they trying to justify um, this, this person who I think hopeless or whatever, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm I can, for one example, um, I you know, I am I'm, I'm know David Moyes quite well, um, and throughout the season, he had this trajectory with the West Ham fans where certain points they were shouting, um, you know, sacked in the morning at him, and then of course, they loved him at the end of the season, but um. Just knowing David, and it's not, it's not, you know, he's not telling me incredible secrets, but just knowing some of the challenges he might have faced with the place being injured and this, that, and the next thing. Um, when you sort of try and um give a bit of context on his side, but you can't say the whole thing, then fans get very, very angry. I kind of understand it, they're saying, Well, come on, tell us everything you know, that's what we want to know, everything. Because that's another modern thing. People want to know everything, and think they've got a right to know everything, and the idea of privacy has disappeared a little bit. So that's that's another that's another um, complicated thing. I mean, I live in Leicester, and I, I've known Brendan Rodgers for a long time. Covered him at Liverpool when I lived in Liverpool, um, and it's quite painful. Brendan being you know being sacked and and trying to kind of write about that um, when certain challenges he faced that we couldn't write about um, but certain mistakes he'd made that you have to be honest about and um, I've, I, I sort of tweeted in the in the wake of his sacking that you know he'll go down as one of Leicester's greatest managers but the last 18 months have been terrible and I had people on both sides saying Oof, that was so, thought you were a supporter of Brendan. How could you write? He's he's going to be really upset, and, and then other people go, Oh, how can you say he's one of the great managers when you know you're just you're just up Brendan's blah blah blah. So and I'm, I'm, listen, i have not spoken to Brendan. So he he I, I don't know, I don't know what if you even took any notice of a tweet like that. But I'm just saying it's hard. This line we're talking about is difficult when you've actually got a relationship with the person at the centre of it.
2: Mm, and I think. If we look at, I think it was was it Reese James during the year was was talking about the challenges that people don't understand, you know, the mm. pressures that come with being a professional footballer. And have you had many occasions like that where you're talking to players and managers and, and they're sometimes maybe just breaking down with you, you know, kind of going, I just actually can't cope, or you know, can you write a story about me that shows me in a good light because? Everything I'm seeing about me is just horrible and it's literally tearing my heart apart.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't suppose I've spoken to someone quite in the eye of the storm like that. Although I did I did an interview with Phil Jones a couple of years ago when it was very raw, but he was through the worst of it, but it was still very raw to him. You know, and Phil's someone who um, has suffered some of the worst social media abuse and traditional media abuse of any player I think in the last 10, 15 years. Um, and what he had never been able to get out because he was very loyal to Man United and very professional was he'd essentially played with with knackered knees for for 10 years he'd been playing with injections he'd been playing when he wasn't quite fit he'd done it for the club he'd done it to try and be a good teammate he was never quite able to reach the levels of performance he thought he should because of his problems but but he hadn't and the club hadn't wanted to talk about that and he'd got to the point of being abused in the street, walking down the the road with his young daughter, and and just you know that sense of ownership that the public have got towards famous people, thinking they're entitled to behave to them. And Andrew, I'm sure you, you you're athletes sort of talk about this that they they stop seeing the the human being and just think I can I can I can say anything to this person. So Phil walking down the street and people screaming and you know abuse in front of his toddler daughter and. and we, it was quite a raw interview where he talked about all the, the sort of pain, mental health issues he'd gone through, um, uh, counselling he'd had on the basis of that and, and, and this this pressure of not being able to spell out the real reasons until the end of his career basically. Um, that's just one story, there's, there's a number of stories. I guess I've, I've interviewed Wayne Rooney as well. Um uh, and I, I, I actually go to Wayne's column. I know I know Wayne well, um, but this was um, around when his Amazon doc came out, where he he sort of him and his wife, I think, tried to present to the public their real story to a certain extent. But Wayne talked about his problems with alcohol during his playing career, and how as a very young player he'd gone from you know the streets of Croxteth, um and school. To being one of the most famous people in the world in the blink of an eye, and having the world commenting on him on his scouse accent, on his perceived lack of education. Um, you might remember the infamous paparazzi picture of him, his mum, and his dad getting out of the sea when they were on holiday, and it was, you know, it was on the back pages with nasty headlines. It was also on the Jonathan Ross show. On prime time BBC, with with everyone making fun of him and his family, and he's he's an eighteen year old, and, and Wayne talked about the, to, to me about the, the the pressure he'd felt for several years at that point of his life, and the only escape was was was, was drink really for him, and and he would, you know, he, without he was never an alcoholic or anything, but what he would do is when he had a couple of days off from Manchester United, he would just take the opportunity to lock himself away and just try and cut loose as much as possible. And and he talked about, I just wanted to be a private person for a few days, you know, um, just do something almost that you knew that a footballer and athlete shouldn't do just to live a different life. So, um, I've talked to people about that. Um, I think when they're right in the middle of it, um, I've never had that conversation.
2: Well, they're probably holding it together, re- really, and just yeah. they, they can't even let that yeah. guard down. And Andrew, have you experienced yeah. athletes going through mental health issues and, you know, that space with you is just the only space they feel they can actually let the mask down and, and be authentic?
3: I think it's hard for them there even sometimes, right? It's like I, I think... Um, You know, there's such a focus on, especially the male athletes I work with, but, you know, not even just, like, I don't know that that's fair to say. Like, I I think sport in general has a culture of toughness and even, you know, there's people who do what I do who call themselves mental toughness coaches. And I I think sometimes like and all that focus on mental toughness. Like, that's not to say being a mental toughness coach is a bad title, but I think what you lose there is just like the ability to access and recognize your own vulnerability and really recognize that you're struggling. And so, um, you know, two different experiences I've had at different times is, you know, one, really helping players understand that they're struggling or recognize some of the things they're going to is struggling and accept that pressure and how it's affecting them and, you know, find ways to talk about it and be a little bit more vulnerable with it and take care of themselves around that. Mm -hmm. And then two, you know, working for groups where, you know, I know a player is struggling. I, the athletic trainer has told me this person is struggling. I've kind of tried to start a conversation with them a little bit and just, you can tell like, you know, they're not ready to talk to me or ready to talk to anyone about it or really accept that. And so like the, the mental health aspect of things is really complicated. And I think there's a few, few layers here, right? Like in terms of you know, Jonathan talked before about when you know what's going on behind the scenes, but you can't really portray it in the media. And so it's like there's there's what the fans are getting, which I think like we recognize more and more is a part of the story without the part of the story the clubs and players don't want to tell behind the scenes. And that's very true. And then there's another layer beneath that, which are actually what are the personal experiences that these people are having? um and their own reactions to the events going on at the club and what's the human part of it. And what's the, you know, going on outside of the the training facility and going on in their lives and going on in their brains. And, um, you know, that's, I think there's been a huge shift over the last five years, even, um, in terms of athletes being more comfortable talking about their mental health, even to someone like me, just the idea that there's someone like me around who is, equipped to talk about mental health and you know I part of it is just like there's one team in particular that I've worked with for almost a decade now and um, going from when I first got there there were like four people who would maybe talk to me regularly and it was very focused on sport and very focused on performance to now you know it's not uncommon for me to have three, four players who just want to check in every other week, even if there's not something specific going on, just, you know, talk about how they're doing, talk about things going on in their life. In addition to sport, which is great. You know, that's super important. And, um, but yeah, I, I like I think then all of those things go together. Like those layers I talked about before is so like, um, I don't know, I'm picturing like a diagram of some sort, but it's like, you have, The version Mm -hmm. of the story that the fans in the world are getting, which is what's, you know, able to be shown through different media and then how the fans interact with that piece and how that gets, there's a feedback loop now of social media and how that comes back to players and comes back to managers and comes back to clubs and how they then internalize and react to the people who know half the story and then how they deal with that abuse or how they deal with that um, fame or how they deal with that part. And then that affects the individual part of things, which then, you know, it becomes, complicated quickly I I think it's really important though to be mindful of that the diagram that no one can see because I'm drawing it with my fingers but like uh, that there is an arrow that goes from media and fan reactions back to the players in their own experience and that often you know what you're getting in that um, you know what's available via media and what the fans are reacting to is a portion of the story
2: Mm. And I suppose Jonathan just to kind of delve into the what we call traditional tabloid style stories um, and the tabloid media and that has always been a lot more maybe intrusive in in how it was viewed or you know very sensationalist in terms of how it reacted mm-hmm. to things and you know definitely Wayne Rooney is one of those players Phil Jones and Raheem Sterling who has you know received so much not necessarily abuse within in the media but stories written that cultivated or helped enhance a narrative that was being creative and do you think and you know obviously answer as you feel fit but do you think that some journalists or journalistic styles don't take on the responsibility when they're writing about the human being that they
0: have I- Undoubtedly, um, I would say that there are a few things here. In in my experience, and this applies to the tabloids as well, um, the issue's never been with the, the specialist sports journalists and football journalists because we're the people who, well, first of all, have a, have a love of the game, so I think we're coming to it from, from a, a place of... Um, you know, understanding and affection, anyway. But also, we're the ones that have relationships with the participants. And the, even in the bad old days, I'm talking about, you know, the, the heyday of, let's say, the News of the World or whatever. The problems were usually from the front end of the paper, with from from, from journalists who um, knew that they didn't have to have any relationship with with um, with the people they wrote about. It was kind of hit and run journalism. Um, you know, destroy someone, move on to the next thing. Um, I have to say, I, I just think that I do think, certainly, newspapers have changed, and our tabloid titles are nowhere near what they were. Um, nowhere near where they were in terms. You know, there's there's a there's 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 a, you know, public taste is really against paparazzi and intrusiveness. I know maybe the royal family, William and. Um, Harry and Megan have have talked about it a bit more than football people, sports people in recent years, that they still feel that there's that element to it. I I just think it's it's greatly changed in in my era. But I do think what's replaced that, actually... um, some of the cruelest journalism is is in the form of 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 opinion pieces now and commentaries it's not necessarily stories about people's private lives it's just judgment being pronounced by columnists and you mentioned ryan sterling as one example but the footballers have been on the sharp end of of those really nasty opinion pieces in, in in certain quarters certain papers and and they still struggle with that um but like the bigger picture, as I said earlier, is that I think the intrusiveness has moved to um, social media, and, and probably maybe it's the public that are intrusive now as much as um, professional journalists. And I, 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 I'm trying to say I don't want to sound like I'm passing the buck. Oh, he would say that he's a journalist. I'm just trying to give a really honest opinion here.
2: Yeah. I, I think you're you're right in the sense that if there was no appetite for those old style types of tabloid journalist stories well you know they they wouldn't be there yeah and it's it's one of those elements that myself and Andrew have spoken about in the past in terms of fans and, and fans wanting information and wanting to know information and we as fans lose that sense of well we're actually talking about human beings here so you know like I, as a fan, might sit in the stand and I might hate Jordan Henderson and think he's just terrible as a footballer. And he's two yards away from me and I am roaring in his face, letting him know how much I hate him. Mm. And then I'm walking down the street three days later and Jordan Henderson's walking past me. I'm like, oh, Jordan! (laughs) (laughs) Any chance of a photograph? (laughs) You know, and I, I, I think... None of us want a mirror held up to us, and maybe part of this conversation is bringing it back to the fans.
0: Yeah, and, and, and one thing that I see a lot of um, or, or speak to players a lot about is that fans think that because they're famous and they earn a lot of money, that this somehow gives them a suit of armour that means that the things that affect the rest of us don't affect them and it's nonsense. They are human beings and when I did the Phil Jones story, although there was a lot of sympathy for Phil, there's also a lot of people on Twitter going, oh, he gets paid 100 grand a week. Life's not that difficult for him. It is, that 100 grand a week doesn't make any difference and Andrew will know this very well from the athletes he works with. It doesn't matter how famous you are, how much money you have in your bank account, it doesn't change your vulnerability or the fact you've got feelings. And, and the public don't always understand that.
2: Well, I think it's definitely.
3: Something. I think there's, Sorry, I was I was just going to say, like, there's a, a transition too that I've been able to see of like these, you know, the people don't change when suddenly you write them a big check for the first time. And like, it's funny, you know, I start working with some of the people who I've worked with for longer now when they are 17, 18, 19. And then, you know, you. Three, four, five four five years down the line, like in a professional sports term, someone who's like 23, 24 is like a grown man practically. Right. And, but like, um, it's really funny, you know, all of a sudden it's, it's this kid who's just been this kid. Like, you know, I met them when they first started university and being away from home for the first time. And it's like, you get to know them. as like these, these kids. And then all of a sudden, like they're still these kids, Right. Like you, you recognize that in them later. And I'm sure Jonathan, you've had players you've interacted with like right. that where maybe you've known them across their careers and you met them at like this young age and you've met this kid. And like, you still know this kid who's then either getting paid really well or in this much more high profile place. But like those, you know, they don't change as people like the no. human element doesn't change it's just like what would happen to you like anyone who's listening if someone tomorrow came up and was like here let me give you like a ton of money to do what you do like it wouldn't change the fact that you have feelings or what would you react to or what's important in your life it like you know it of course it changes your life and maybe changes your relationships with the
0: people around you in the world but like you're still just this person we don't want them to change, do we? We all love no, the stories no, of the, the humble athlete who still mates with all his friends from home, who still goes back to his home village. We love Mo Salah building stuff back in Nagrig, and, and, and we love Sadio Mane going back to his roots, and, and we love authenticity. So we don't want them to be any different to the kid that started playing, and coaches want them to be the kid that started playing. They want them to have the, the joy so with all of that, if we don't want them to change, they're not going to grow this suit of armour that I talked about and, and be able to shut out all the negativity. You know, they, they they just are those kids.
2: They are those kids. And I think that's a perfect place to wrap this up. Jonathan, thank you so much for giving up your time to come and chat to us. I've really appreciated this. And uh, Andrew, thank you too for bringing your expertise. And I hope the listeners will have gained a different perspective now on maybe the media and the players and, and looking at, you know, we are dealing with human beings and, you know, sometimes stupid kids do stupid things, but well, all kids do stupid things, just not all of them are landed on the back pages of a, a newspaper. <laughs> but uh, thank you so much, guys, and we will be back again very soon with the Minefield Podcast.